0: Oh, damn, flim, dog. up everyone welcome back to the long view podcast I'm your host Parker Fleming and this is a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network alongside GBB live the 3 and D podcast and the starting 5 podcast so wherever you get those Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher Megaphone iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcast you can find the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network and the long view podcast right there Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Really exciting week last week with the trade deadline, uh, big Grizz Gaming news, uh, a lot of hustle coverage from Brandon Abraham. And we also got four new riders. So make sure you're checking out a very loaded Grizzly Bear Blues staff that hits every sector of the organization. So. Well, I want to bring in our guest. We have a, a big time guest here. He is the founder of the Quest for the Best Limited Series podcast. He is a writer for Rise Network, Opta Analyst, and the in Forbes Sports. My gosh, so many bylines. And then the absolutely loaded uh, basketball news website. Uh, it's Matt Issa. Matt, what's up? How's it going, man?
1: I'm doing good, Parker. How are you, man?
0: You know, I'm doing pretty good, and you know you wrote a very good uh, Grizzly centric piece that we'll get into in a moment here, but we're ironically like it's all ironic that this is recording on the same day as the Memphis Grizzlies New Orleans Pelicans mm-hmm. game because we're talking about Stephen Adams and that that debate kind of gets uh, a little toxic when it comes to the Stephen Adams JV thing because. There's extremeness. They're like, oh, the Grizzlies are better because they made that trade. And then you have the Pelicans fans like, well, Jonas Valentinus is a better player. Uh, It's just – it's one of those things where you kind of got to accept that both teams got what they wanted. Uh, The Grizzlies wanted somebody who can provide similar stuff to Jonas Valentinus, but also open up more touches so that guys like John Morant, Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain are more empowered. Um, the New Orleans Pelicans, I mean, everyone's seen the situation. It's like with uh, Zion Williamson, they needed some floor raisers. They needed somebody, you know, if Zion, like, for example, this season, if it's February and he still can't play or he's playing limited amount of time, they need somebody who can help them at least win games, maintain the ship. So I think as we're in the middle of February, almost two-thirds of the way into the season, really weird to say that we're almost two-thirds in, both teams got what they wanted, right?
1: Yeah, I remember it was you and uh you and Joe were on Mark's pod, right? Being the season the yeah, of pod. yeah, Yeah. And I remember um Joe, he made like I think that was the first time like he announced his thoughts on the Pelicans Memphis trade, and he was like, It kind of helps both teams, you know. He needed like Valentinus needed too much use on usage on the offensive end of the floor for John Morant and Bain and Jackson's development and Adams would slide in better with those high-usage guys, and then Valanchunas would help the Pelicans. And, like, when I heard that, I'm like, well, du- you know, that's, that's like, a reasonable point. He didn't say anything controversial. And then you look on Twitter, and it's, like, you're right. It's like a war. And I'm like, well, I thought everyone thought like this. Like, and that's just, like, I think that goes back to, like, I don't think people understand, like, both teams can win a trade. You know, both teams can be better because they made a deal. It's not like one party loses, one party wins, you know?
0: Yeah, it's so silly. I mean, especially with the trade done. Like, for example, like, we're – everyone's over here analyzing this Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers trade where it's like, dude, both teams got multi-time all-stars. Like they got what they wanted. Um, You couldn't really draw it out any better. I mean, obviously there's some trades where you kind of are like, okay, what is this team doing? Plenty of teams like that last week. But I mean, I feel like with the Grizzlies and Pelicans one, it's a pretty clear vision and where it gets really toxic is like, People on Grizz Twitter are arguing with a did Jonas Valanciunas have a good game Twitter account. It's like, okay, you're not going to get anywhere with this argument because you are literally arguing with a Jonas Valanciunas fan account. They're not going to admit that the Grizzlies made a good trade or that the Grizzlies are better off without Valanciunas. They're going to stick to their guns, and uh, it's just so stupid, man. It's so stupid
1: is it just me or does like every player have a fan account? Like somebody out there, like I was, I tweeted something like, something crazy I saw about Mike Muscala who's having like a secretly good year, I guess. And like the Mike Muscala fan account, like followed me on Twitter and it was like, Oh, this is facts. I'm like, like you're a person like you, do you have fans? Mike Muscala? I had like no idea. If you really
0: want to know a fun fact, there's this um, there's this account that, has been kind of blown up a little bit in Grizz Twitter over the past few years called the John Conchar fan account. Mm-hmm. And it, it's honestly like top five Grizzly like fan account follows for sure. But like the person behind it, we actually just hired him on GBB. Very, very good esteemed um, up at riser, kind of like how, how you are, you know, early college kind of grinding with um, getting in this biz. And, but it, but it's like, it's like you said, it's like random fan accounts where you're like, Oh, did, like, this this person actually has a fan account that has, you know, a pretty good amount of following. So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But um, the reason why I had Matt on is because for Basketball News, uh, if y- y'all don't already follow it, basketballnews.com, a lot of good coverage. Uh, one of our uh, GBB senior staff writers, Justin Lewis, actually departed from GBB to go right there about the Grizzlies. So uh, make sure y'all check that out. But Matt, Matt wrote a really good article on Steven Adams. And I think more people need to – appreciate what Steven Adams has been doing for this Grizzlies team, even though it's not eye popping or um, sexy or anything. I mean, I, I didn't know this until I started researching today, but Steven Adams is actually averaging a career high in rebounds and assists per game at age 28. I mean, even though he was really a cornerstone for that Thunder team had some really good seasons there, like this is the season he's flourishing in those areas. But Matt, like as you were, as you were watching this film on, Uh, steven adams and his fit with the grizzlies just what is one thing first that just stood out to you
1: yeah um there's an art to screening um i know that sounds like kind of like intuitive like there's an art to everything in a sense but like there is like an art to screening like the very like the best screen setters like they have their own tricks they have their own little moves you know, Steven Adams, if you really watch him, like, I feel like he should be getting called for an offensive foul every time he sets the screen, because it just doesn't seem fair that he sets it like, and there's so much contact. Like there's this one move he has where he'll set the screen and then he'll step up a little bit right as the ball handler is turning the corner on his screen, just so he can like latch on to the ball handler's defender for like a second longer, half second longer. And then sometimes I would say like, if I had to guess like one out of every five or six screens, he'll like he'll literally like at the end of the play, like grab the the waist of the guy he's screening just for like a split second, just to slow him down. Um, You know, so many different tricks. So I think that was like the the coolest thing to me. Like, cause then I started watching some other like good screen setters. I just started paying attention to them um, like offhand when I was watching games. I'm like, okay, like they all have this kind of like this technique to screen setting. So it's definitely an art and like some players do it better than others.
0: You know, I was in the party of like clowning jazz fans for screaming screen assists when it comes to Rudy Gobert. But one, playing Rudy Gobert in a playoff series and two, watching sc- Steven Adams, I'm just like, okay, like th- this is probably needs to be a bigger deal than we make, than most people make it out to be. I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now. Steven Adams is the, the league leader in screen assists per 36 minutes and in total screen assists as well. And I, I think one of the really cool subtle things that I've noticed and you actually it was like one of your first clips is Adams will like, even if he's not setting a screen, like he's like down on the block and he's sealing off someone so that like John Moran or Desmond Bain have a free lane to the hoop. And it, it's just that like subtle. I think everything that describes Adams impact on this team. is just subtle because it's not going to stand out like a a John Morant block or a John Morant uh, layup or dunk. It's not going to stand out like the Desmond Bain by threes or anything, but it's just as impactful as what what's going on with um, Stephen Adams and in the success of this Grizzlies team as well.
1: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And like, you mentioned the subtle part, like at first, when I started looking into it, I kind of like, am I like my, like, is this like a big brain take? Am I just like overthinking this? And then I, I was looking into it and I saw that you and Justin had kind of noticed it too. And uh, I was like, okay, wait, like, so this is like a thing. Like, I'm not like, I'm not seeing this. Like he definitely like has like a, a weird, but like really good impact on this Grizzlies team. But yeah. Um, one thing also I noticed, you know, a lot of people like to talk about, um, like everyone I feel like talks about it now with like the, uh, the increase in ball screens. Everyone likes to talk about when I like a ball handler, puts a defender on their back and they give him that little booty bump. They put him on, put him in jail. John whatever. does that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Steven really Adams it. does it. Steven Adams does it as a cutter. Like he'll put like defender, I mean, not a cutter, excuse me, as a, the as roller. a screener. Yeah. yeah. As a screener, he'll put defenders in jail, like put them on, on his ass. And I don't know. It just, it's so cool to me that there's like a whole, a whole art to screen setting. Like I said.
0: Yeah. It's really cool to watch. And it, it's one thing that's incredibly wild because everyone knows Steven Adams had kind of a down year last year. Everyone's like, oh, is this, is this that like Steven Adams, is he just about to enter this regression as he's getting up there in age? Uh, He's not a floor spacing big man or anything, but now, I mean, his on off numbers have kind of taken a massive leap with his impact. Um, Last year, the uh, the Pelicans were 1.7 points per uh, 100 possessions better when Adams was on the floor. Granted, probably a lot of time sharing with Zion, Brandon Ingram. Uh, Alonzo Ball, guys like that. So that could jack up those numbers there. But, I mean, this year, his off numbers, the Grizzlies are 8.3 points per 100 possessions, better with him on the floor. So we mentioned the screening, and it's one of those things that's crazy where everybody was screaming after the Valanciunas trade. The rebounding, where's the rebounding going to come from? Meanwhile, the Grizzlies sit at the top of the league in offensive rebounding and rebounds per game. And it's not like Adams is out here like Jonas Valanciunas or Andre Drummond or anything just gobbling up rebounds. But, I mean, he's only averaging 9.6 per game. But it's just opening up opportunities for, like, guys like John Morant, Desmond Bain, uh, D'Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, guys that can grab and go. His boxing out is opening avenues for that. So I I know I kind of veered into a different area and stuff, but, Mm -hmm. like, with with his, like, what is it about Steven Adams' game, his impact that's making him the Grizzlies' best on-off player out of all the rotation guys right now?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, okay, one thing I will add also that you said, like, not only are they, like, you know, eight points better compared to the two points better, but you have to think about, like, the baseline of last year's Pelicans and the baseline of this year's Grizzlies. So right. he's making a really good Grizzlies team eight points better with his presence as opposed to, like, two points better with the Pelicans team that was, like, not a playoff team right. to begin with. So he was making them, like, a fringe playoff team or whatever. But with him on the floor for the Grizzlies, they're, like – I mean, you know, I, I hate using this word, but they're, like, championship contenders when he's on the floor. They play, like, championship contenders. But um, what is it about that? I mean, I would say part of it is, like, noise. I think – you know, I believe – I haven't watched, like, as many Grizzlies games as you, but you could probably test this. He's, like, one of the first starters to come off the floor, so he's not – really in too many bench units so that could that could help he's always playing with their best guys yeah so
0: actually um sorry sorry to cut you off there Mm -hmm. but uh what what the grizzlies their typical substitution pattern really is is the first two guys off are actually bane and jackson so that whenever jaws off the court they can have bane and jackson in in those non-jaw lines. but i'm sorry continue continue with your point i just no, that was interesting
1: that. that was interesting huh Okay, but so you would say he shares the majority of his minutes with Ja, then
0: I would say so. Yeah, I would say he shares the majority of his minutes with Ja.
1: Yeah, but um, uh, back to what I was saying, um, damn, I can't remember what we were talking about now, but
0: uh, we're talking about his on off numbers. Why,
1: I mean, yeah, what makes him so that? Yeah, part of it's like they don't leave him out to like with like Bane and Jackson, like you mentioned there, that gives a little more clarity to the picture. They're not leaving him out there with like. Stephen Adams and then four bench players, you know what I mean? So I feel like he gets to be a part of their best lineups more often than not. So that could be like some noise, but like the things we talked about, the, the offensive rebounding, that's like, it's a, it's own version of gravity. You know what I mean? Like Steph Curry's, you know, pulling people out of the three point line. He pulls people out to like the rebounding lanes that open up driving lanes for Ja and um, driving lanes for D'Anthony Mellon driving lanes for Robert Williams. Um, I Bain's not much of a driver yet, but you know, when that comes, um, the passing, the passing, I think is interesting. I, I know we've even talked about that. Yeah, that's a lot of what your piece focused on. But um, the passing is cool. I feel like part of it is uh, Coach Jenkins is like empowering him to pass more. They're putting him in more situations, to throw more passes. Um, I don't think I was looking at his passer rating stuff his, with um, Ben Taylor's metric, and he's like in the top ten in the league. And I don't know. I don't obviously don't think he's a top ten passer in the league. I think he makes a lot of like safe passes. He doesn't, he doesn't make, making like too many defense bending passes. But the passing is really cool. I really like how um, Jenkins has empowered him in that way. It's just like the little things, man. Like he, he doesn't need. He can go five, six, seven, eight possessions, and the ball doesn't touch his hands. And like it won't, it won't matter. And he's setting screens. He's he's boxing out so other players can get rebounds. The nine rebounds doesn't tell the whole story, you know. So it's just right. it is he's really like he's not the king of the little things, but he's like definitely one of the best players in the league when it comes to doing a little things on the offensive end.
0: I, I really like the, the king of the little things, but yeah, no, Matt, I really kind of just wanted to like have a little part in this where we just marvel about Steven Adams' is passing mm-hmm. because I, I kind of have this theory. I don't know. Okay, so I follow I followed you on Twitter for a bit. You kind of do a lot similar with your film stuff, similar to guys like Mark Schindler, Jackson Frank, Nikai Duncan. were like y'all are probably going back into synergy. Watching the game, you find something, you clip it, you post it on Twitter. Is that am I picking up your process there? Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much. But I just don't do it as successfully as they do.
0: No, nah, I still think you do a pretty good job. All y'all, <laughs> do, y'all, y'all inspire me with that too. So, like what I what I used to try to do is whether it's I'm watching a game and I notice something that's I'm like oh that pops up I need to go tweet about that later. Um, Or just let's say like Adams has like five assists or six assists. I'll go back into the NBA website on the box score and be like, okay, how did he get these assists? I usually do that with, especially with big men when they have high assist totals. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, let's see what they do because passing big men is like a soft spot for me.
1: So, no, same here, same here.
0: So, what I'll notice is like, okay, there's some where it's like, okay, they just, it was a dribble handoff. Uh, The guard got all the way to the rim where the guard just pulled up to the mid-range. Nothing much there. But then you watch some of his passes, and you're like, it's like him fighting cutters, no looks, uh, bounce passes. You're like, dude, this is spicy. And I don't know what Memphis did to deserve great passing big men. We had both Gasol brothers, uh, a half season of Joaquim Noah. That was really fun. And then now Steven Adams. And it's just it's incredibly rad. And I he's really developed. I know everybody's now talking about that partnership with Desmond Bain. I think they have of the like odd all couple. combo, yeah. The odd couple. Um, as my one of my best friends says, they have a better connection than Jim and Pam. Mm-hmm. And um I I think I was looking at uh PBP stats, and out of like big men to guard passing duos, like the only ones that have higher assist totals and Adams and Bain are like your Draymond and Jokic ones who are basically like the point yards of the offense anyways. So it's almost like, ah, does this count a little bit? But still just, uh, that's the thing that's just been so fun to watch with Adams' game this year. It's like, he's just like dropping dimes. Like he's not just like facilitating as a playmaking hub, as a dribble handoff hub. Like he is legitimately playing as a playmaking hub. And I'm like, this is fun to watch.
1: And I honestly think um, I'm sure you'll love this, but like I think Jenkins deserves a ton of the credit because I was I was looking at PB stats too PB stats yesterday in anticipation for this, and I'm like like holy cow, like um you know I'm just reading off numbers here, but Bain is his true shooting is six points higher. He's averaging I believe like what is it seven points more per seventy five with Adams on the floor. Jai's five points better and a true shooting of uh, what do we have him at? I think another five five more points. And that's John Morant, you know, five points higher for him than what he's shooting with Adams off the floor is significant because he's taking a bunch of shots. But um, oh, And yeah. then I looked at, like, with the Pelicans, and actually, like, Zion was worse scoring efficiency wise with Adams on the floor. Ingram was worse scoring efficiency wise with Adams on the floor. Same with Russ. Um, same with Paul, I believe, too, when they played that one season together. So this is definitely, like, a context thing. I think this team – I know I don't want to get too ahead of the gun, But like, I think this team is like, is kind of perfect for Adams and what he does. Having like Jackson, who's like, I know he's having a bad shooting year, but he's still like a theoretical spacer and team still close out on him. And the shooting will come back. I mean, he's getting free throws really well. You have Ja, you have Desmond Bain, who's shooting, you know, literally the nylon out of the net. Um, Zaire Williams is shooting well. So you have all these guys around him and I don't know, I just feel like it's the perfect context for him he could just work off the elbow, you know, do dribble handoffs with Bane, dribble handoffs with Ja, have one of them in the rim, hit one of them for three. It's it's like, I don't know. I think they've really, like, both parties should be, like, just happy about this. This is a match made in heaven.
0: It's literally perfect because, you know, for one, when you get down to a playoff situation, you're crunching down your rotation, you're, you're going to have 48 minutes of good center play regardless between Jackson and Adams. I know they have, like, quick spurts of, like, three minutes a half where Brandon Clark is playing the five, but for the most part, you're going to have good center minutes regardless. And he just kind of does all the dirty work while everyone else on the court can eat. And it's not like one of those things where Adams just isn't getting a ball, getting the ball at all, but he's finding his teammates and you have guys like Ja and Bane flourishing. I, I want to like, I even just had the expectation for him. It's just like, coming in as like can he just be like a it sounds so silly to say because of who he is now like can he just be a glorified Kendrick Perkins like just be a guy doesn't demand a lot of touches does the dirty work. he's cool when not closing games because Adams doesn't close a lot of games Usually they close with Jackson at the five and either uh Clark or Anderson next to him at the four could he just like he's he's such a low maintenance player and I think it's kind of helped with the I know everyone talks about the vibes of this team, but there's no egos on it or anything. Not to say like Balancin had one, but it's a lot harder justifying not closing with Valentinus than it is closing with Adam or not closing with Adams, if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. Um, here's an here's another cool stat not to to get too sidetracked, but I put in uh you know those little uh, subunits that you do for PV stats. So I put in their starting five and I did like subunits of two. So I put in jail Uh, Williams um, Bain and Jackson and Adams and their top four lineups are each of those players and Adams like in terms of net ratings so like Adams is a part of their four uh, top two subunits when you talk about their their starters I just thought that was cool but like like what you said about low maintenance he's shooting the worst he's shot from the rim since like his rookie season so that Mm -hmm. just shows they're they're not relying on his scoring at all it's everything else he's doing and he, you're right. Like, this team is like the vibe. They're like Twitter's darling right now. They have cool vibes. Everyone loves them. A lot of young players, like, the, you know, the, um, the what's the, what is it? The, I don't know. I don't know the cliche right now, but like the ceiling is very high for yeah. that team.
0: Oh, yeah. know it's, it's definitely been fun to follow. I mean, especially since, you know, we're, we're used to, uh, teams that are, you know, categorized more of like in the mud. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't really, in the trenches. They're in the trenches. You're going to get a lot of, like, 82 to 88 games, but this one fly up and down the court. They're ending up on sports and all that. It's super fun. I do I do like – I want to get to this real quick before I move into, like, kind of the bigger picture term of Adams is I really like how you closed your article and like called him, like, the gatekeeper of the Grizzlies offense, Grizzlies system. I want to know, like, what do you mean by the gatekeeper of it? I really kind of want you to, like – Explain that because I thought that was a cool – I mean, I've heard the glue of it, um, uh, the backbone, whatever, but the gatekeeper. I want to hear what was your uh, mindset with that one.
1: Okay, so I'm not going to be the first guy to make this connection, but, like, in my head, you know, Stephen Adams and Jason Momoa. So I'm thinking yep, Aquaman, right? And I'm thinking of it like they're in Atlantis, and there's, like, a giant gate, and, like, Stephen Adams is, like, this sage leader of, people, of men he's standing at the gate, and, like, the, the Grizzlies' offense is unlocked because, like, he allows those to pass through it. So, like, like for example, like, on the court, like, you know, John Morant, he's, everyone knew he was going to be great, but, like, isn't it, like, incredible for him barreling down the lane right now with a guy like that setting screens for him? Jaron Jackson's able to play more like a guard, like, you know, have him coming off flare sc- screens, have him spot up, have him do all those things on offense because Adams is down there. He's he's occupying that space. Bain, of course, he's been having an incredible sophomore year, thanks in part to that, you know, the odd couple. And then whoever's whoever is that fifth guy in the rotation. I know it's been like, you know, with Dylan Brooks or Zaire Williams. I believe Kyle Anderson's had a couple starts, and that's about to year, right?
0: I think he's had a few here and there.
1: Yeah. 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 So like whoever it's been. But like I feel like the offense is like they're allowed to pass through because like he's there. He's like the, you know, he's like that that sage who's like to the, these young men. I know he's only 28, so, like, you know, Sage is a stretch, but, like, he's the veteran who kind of enables the younger guys to go. So I just thought it'd be, like, a cool, cool word. And, like, gatekeeper just sounds cool. I'm sure, you know, as a writer, you could appreciate that.
0: Yeah. No, I really appreciated it. And especially, you did the the Aquaman reference with that. It's just, it's just golden. I really appreciate yeah. that. But, yeah, like, the long view thing with Steven Adams, because it's tricky, you know? The NBA, it's a business. But, I mean, you and I could both say as much as we like Stephen Adams, he's not going to be making 17 million a year in his next contract.
1: We know that. Uh, oh, okay. So are you saying he would, he would get more? No, no,
0: I'm saying he'll make less.
1: So, okay. So I actually, in, cause I know you were, you wanted to talk about that. So you have, have you read um, the mid range theory yet? I've not read the mid range theory yet. Okay. No. So I've been, I've been using this formula lately. I used it in my article about Jakob Pertl um, for Forbes, but, um, so basically, Seth Part now gives a, like a formula that like um, front offices generally use for like calculating the value of a player. And it's basically production value is net points times league average per win in a given season. And in this season, based on the salary per win, a player is worth $3.1 million. So I found out how many net points Steven's at Stephen Adams is worth, roughly 6.4. So theoretically, he should be making $20 million this year but instead he's making about 17 and next year he'll be making about 18. So if he continues with like this value, he's actually underpaid. And I I hope he doesn't figure that out.
0: Yeah, no, I, I will cut this out to spare uh, Zach Kleinman and company a couple extra dollars, but no, that, that's actually really cool to see. Cause I mean, honestly, I'm thinking, you know, he's not, he's not the same Steven Adams he used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time he gets to his next, or by the time he enters free agency, I think he'll be close to 30. And he has a lot of miles on him right now. I, I just looked up his minutes, his total minutes between regular season and playoffs. He's almost at 19,000 career minutes. That's a lot of mileage on a, on a big man like that. So there, there's the, there's the money, the contract factor, but there's also the Jaron Jackson junior factor of, okay, we got to explore this guy could be the starting five. And he, mm-hmm he gave Jackson gave some flashes when Adams was in health and safety protocols. Uh He, at, the Mavericks game kind of tanked his uh averages here for in a five game sample. But I mean that, that Mavericks game, it was like their sixth game and eight or nine nights or some, or eight and 12, something like that it was ridiculous. But, Anyways, Jackson, as a, as a starting center, averaged seventeen points, eight rebounds, four blocks, two steals. He was, he looked like a defensive player of the year candidate. It was almost, and they were waylaying on teams. They were awesome, but so you you're like, okay, like, do they do this and just either start Clark or Anderson or another big wing masquerading as a four next to him like whether that's the draft or a trade or whatever that there's that but it's also like they're good with steven adams too but like do you do you think do you think like adams could potentially just also just switch over to a bench role where he can play more of like that 15 20 minutes a night as well like in his next contract or even next season like where where do you see like a Grizzlies Steve Adam outlook when it comes to like the starting center conversation?
1: Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned the age thing, 28. I mean, he's seven feet tall and like, you know, you and I are not seven feet tall. So I don't know what it's like. Unfortunately. We don't know what it's like. Like our joints don't know what it's like to be seven feet tall. I'm like five nine on a good day and my joints feel like shit. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I can only imagine what he's like, but um, I mean, if all like all health things being, I think he's he warrants another another two or three year deal once next season's up because here's the thing like you don't and Adams is like that type of player like it seems like everyone loves this guy so I mean I would assume he's not the type of player who would get upset about being benched in a playoff series where the matchup is better for Jackson who by the way you're right he's been awesome with Adams without Adams I think they're like a perfect defensive pair by the way because like oh yeah Adams is like you know strong he boxes out he helps the team rebounding wise and then. You know Jackson is—he's just like this incredibly versatile, incredible shot blocker. He's—he's he's put on muscle while retaining his speed and quickness. I was thinking about this yesterday. I know it's like a random aside, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I'm like, could Evan Mobley like put on as much weight as Jaron Jackson did and still be that fast? Like, I wonder. You know what I mean? Because like that—that that, would—that would make for a really. Because they're like their comparison is pretty like spot on. I feel like right. Like yeah, as rookies. I
0: mean, Evan Mobley like. You know, as the kids say, like Evan Mobley is him. Like when it comes to like that prototypical modern-day big man, like he's – like honestly, if you said Mobley can – I think he's probably like 200 on a good day right now. If he can get up to 230 and you say he retains his speed, it wouldn't shock me. Um, I mean, we've seen it with Giannis. Like he's retained speed even though he got, pre- he got pretty muscular pretty quick. But, no, I, I think it is an interesting defensive pairing. Because also, too, it's not like Adams is like this – he's only good in drop. He can have spurts yeah. where he just ma- – he holds his own in switches. He doesn't fall for anything. He just kind of, like, holds his ground. He lets the perimeter player do what they need to do and just tries to stonewall them under odds. Like, it's pretty simple.
1: That's what but, I had in my notes. I was like – um, because, I mean, with Val, all your running was drop. Yeah, like, and that's, I, what, seen... that's
0: what killed in the playoffs yeah. is drop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Adams. Um, I, I've seen him definitely seen him switch. I remember I was watching the Wizards game from a little while back and they switched. I think he switched on to Bradley Beal and he blocked his shot, to be honest. I was like pretty yeah, impressed I, by that.
0: Yeah, I actually clipped that because I was like,
1: this is cool. Oh, really? Like,
0: yeah, I'm like, he he like just picked up Bradley Beal and took him all the way to the rim, let him get all the way to the rim, and just blocked his shot. And I was like, that's that's something you we didn't see from uh certain Grizzlies. Past big men, but yeah, no, it was really cool. Yeah, I know exactly which player you're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Jackson can do like literally anything in the pick and roll. He could be guarding the ball handler, like that's how good he is. But um, yeah, he could, you know, screen, switch. I mean, not screen, hedge, uh switch or drop, no problem. But yeah, I, I think you if you can, like if it's tenable, like I would I would keep both just for like the versatility, like, because like think about like okay, this is like really ahead of ourselves, but say like they played the 76ers in the NBA finals. You wouldn't want Jackson – yeah, you wouldn't want Jackson to be the one absorbing blows from Embiid. You know what I mean? You would want Adams to be going, like, blow for blow with him. Or, like, even if, like, it was this season and say, like – I don't know. Okay, not this season, but say, like, next season the Blazers come back and, like, Nurkic, who's not – obviously not Embiid, but, like, he's so strong. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't want Jackson to be dealing with that. Even if Jackson is stronger now, why would you want him to be taking those blows? You know? I mean, you
0: can kind of go down the list with a lot Mm -hmm. of these – uh, big men, uh, Nikola Jokic. Uh, you yeah, know, exactly. I mean, the thing is, what's nice is Jaren shown his has held his own and then some with some of these matchups: Jokic, mm-hmm. Towns, Nurkic, physical big men like that. But just having a guy like Adams who can at least he can take on twenty five minutes of it. He can be like, okay, I'm saving Jaren Jackson. Let's say like, let's say a Jokic type plays 36 minutes. It's like, okay, I'm saving Jaron 25 minutes. He can only play – he can maybe play 12 minutes on this guy, something like that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, I mean, like, I I think it's definitely a nice foil, even if it's one of those things where it's like, okay, after after this season, it's time to transition to Jaron Jackson being the full-time starting five. But we like Steven Adams. We like what he brings to this team, how he – adds to our culture of what we're trying to be let let's roll with him being the backup maybe we test out and see if a Jackson Clark one is the starting front court of the future let's just te- let's just test something out they can do that they kind of had that luxury where they can kind of pivot in different ways and I think a lot of it ties to Steven Adams being a lot better than he was when he was with New Orleans
1: yeah and I think it's a, a lot of his Jenkins man like he's a oh he is he's awesome. a damn good coach he's probably like I mean, I know this is, like, recency bias and stuff, but, like, you'd have a hard time naming five or six coaches better than in the NBA right now, in my opinion. I, I,
0: I've always been a Jenkins truther. Yeah. You know, whenever they had that slow start and people were like, is Jenkins the guy? I'm like, we have two seasons mm-hmm. of evidence of Jenkins being the guy. Like, let's hold our what? horses here. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, they're the third best team in the league, record-wise. Like, Okay, I got I think we got our answer here, but yeah, no, Jenkins has done a, a great job of mixing and matching with this. I mean, I know you were talking about this earlier, just how many different variations of the starting front court they've had through like the COVID and Dylan Brooks being out. I mean, they've started, they've started Killian Tilly at the three, and it's just like no problem. Like they, they, they one of the that game in Barclays where they beat the hell out of the Nets, Killian Tilly started at the three and they were still making stuff work. I mean, I see I see Stephen Adams, like, hitting Santi Aldama on cuts. Like, he's just like, – the way that Jenkins has been able to mix and match and kind of find value out of players, it's
1: been really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, last year they had – what was it? You guys had the sixth best defense, and this is with six no Jaron 10. Jackson. Yeah, with no Jaron Jackson for the most of the year. You know, John Morant, who he is on defense right now. You know, your best defenders were – Valentinus, Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, who are like all like, you know, solid defenders, but like top, like top six or seven defense in the NBA. Like that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. They, they were, they were the six or seven best defense and their starting backcourt was John Morant, Grayson Allen. Like that mm-hmm. is just, it's nuts. But I will I'll get, I'll get you out on, uh, on this question here. Cause I mean, the, the NBA is a business and we know that this front office likes making a lot of moves. I mean, if you told me after the playoffs or after the regular season that Jonas Valanciunas would have been traded, I would have been like, what? That's nuts. But like we can look up six months from now and the Grizzlies find a trade for Steven Adams because he does have his sizable contract, $17 million expiring contract. Um, He's not exactly like a, I want to say he's high in demand, but he's not a guy that you would need to like attach a first round pick to just to get off his contract. Like he's, he's a, neutral to positive player. I mean, as we're talking on this podcast, probably positive. But do you think, like, if, if Jaron Jackson, his NBA future is a starting power forward, which is perfectly fine, as we've seen this year in this pairing with Alan Junis, it's fine if they did that. But do you think, like, Adams is kind of answering the question of the prototype of a of what a starting center should look like in the event that Jaron Jackson Jr. never makes that transition, a guy that just sets screens, does the dirty work, rebounds, and defends in multiple variations?
1: Um, I tend to say yes, unless one of two things happens. So, one, like Jackson's shooting like never picks up again, and like, he no longer becomes somebody like defenses, you know, continually close out on. Because then, if you have like another non-shooter, it's they don't. I, don't, I wouldn't say like I love Bane, I love Morant. Like neither one of them is like Curry, where you could run like two non-shooters on the floor and like you'd be okay just because of the gravity. But um, so if that happens, or if like Jackson somehow, I mean he's showing flashes, but like if he somehow becomes like a monster in the low post, where like it just wouldn't be tenable to have both of them kind of working down in the block. Right. But otherwise, like I think like yeah, they're like they're a perfect couple. Like, you know, Bane and Adams are the odd couple, but they're the perfect couple. You know what I mean? Do you you agree with that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm like one of the biggest truthers of Jaron Jackson Jr. needing to be a a five, a starting five down the road just because of the amount of possibilities that unlocks for the Grizzlies. But like, I, I want a guy similar to Adams in the fold. If anything, I would like down the road, you know, like two... Three years from now, I would like for someone like maybe his height or whatever, but maybe a smidge bouncier when it comes to like actually being a lob threat for John Morant. I mean, basically, it'd basically be like, if could you find a guy that's seven feet tall, but has Brandon Clark's bounce? Like, that would be great off the bench in that scenario. Um, I like somebody that's just a good screen hub at the top. Um, I I just think he's, he's kind of showing the the different directions that the Grizzlies could potentially go down in their team building while still showing that it could be successful. It's not one of those things like, okay, we need Jaron Jackson junior to be a five down the road. If we want to be successful, like, no, it's, you can go either way, but, and also too, that's just a testament to the, to the coaching, as we've both said, but I, I think, Adams is just showing that there's a lot of possibilities of where where they can go with the team construction down the road.
1: Yeah, I I actually have one question for you um, Yeah. before we wrap this up. So I was curious, like, as a Grizzlies fan, like, because you know how, like, you know, every team has, like, their one need, like, oh, we're, like, this piece away, you know, from being, like, significantly better team. Is it for the Grizzlies? Is it just, like, you guys are, like, we're good. We're just banking on Morant, Bain, Jackson, the rest of the young core getting better. Like, you have all the pieces now, and you could, like, you know, obviously – you could fix some things up around the margins when you're, when it's really ready. But like for the future, you guys are good.
0: I would, you know, I, I go flip and flop, not like major flip and flop, but like you can convince me, like, okay, let's get Dylan Brooks healthy and let, let's just see what it just ride this till the wheels fall off, basically, kind of like how Toronto and Milwaukee did. They had this formula, it worked. They realized at one point that they're they're done. They topped off. They made that last move and then title. I've I've been the the season success kind of made me think that way. But if anything, I would say a big wing. Like they need, and I it pains me to say this as like one of the biggest truthers of Dylan Brooks Island. It's like, can they just upgrade Dylan Brooks? Like that's probably and I think they're gonna be kind of facing these decisions this off season because Denlin Brooks is on an expiring so and, and you know, he's going to make more than 11 mil annually next season or after on his yeah. next contract, he's having a, a big wing that can defend one through four at a pretty high level, defend the other opposing's best, the other opposing team's best player while also scoring 15 a night. Like you're not going to find a lot of that out of a role player. Uh, yeah. Brandon Clark's, uh, rookie extension coming up as well. I think he's pretty worthy of extension. I mean, you have Kyle Anderson a free agent, uh, Tyus Jones being a free agent. Um, you have you have just a lot of also like, really good contracts as well. I mean, the Stephen Adams one expiring, DeAnthony Melton only at eight mil annually um, in two seasons after the next after this season. So I I feel like there'll be decisions down the road, but it, it seems like the big wing is the one that's the most, it's not glaring because there's not like a weakness, but you can tell that Zach Kleiman is definitely searching for a big wing. I mean, the justice Winslow trade, Um trying to get a look into Jarrett Culver, who probably won't be a grizzly next season. I mean, not that they relied on Jarrett Culver to be a rotation player or anything, but they wanted to look Uh Zaire Williams trading up for, and even the guys that they're rumored to go after, Ah, uh, when they traded up, they were rumored for uh, Josh giddy Franz Wagner, Jonathan Kaminga, Zaire Williams. Like they wanted a big wing, like, and I, I think that's just kind of what uh, alerts them right now. And you know, whether it's the draft or it's a big time trade, we'll see. Obviously, I think everybody's dream in Memphis is to go get one of the Boston Wings, seeing if you can get one of the Jays. That'd be so much fun. Yeah. You know, you know. uh, Every time there's something that comes up about Jason Tatum, somebody shares a picture of Jason Tatum back in his AAU days because he played for a Memphis team, right? Really? He played. I did not know that.
1: So Bradley Beal played for a Memphis team too, then?
0: No, I think Bradley Beal was a uh, a lot older. I think they didn't get into the same system or anything until like Tatum's middle school years or something. Okay. But like Tatum's elementary school years, he he played um, for an AAU team in Memphis, and I, I actually think we played against him one time, and they beat us by like fifty. But it, it yeah, so one of the Jays would be cool, or trading up for a guy like uh, AJ Griffin or um, Bennett Matherin, someone oh, like that. That would be pretty cool too. Oh yeah.
1: Speaking of basketball, you still playing pickup basketball these days?
0: Dude, I have not played pickup basketball. I'm looking at my phone right now. Six months.
1: Okay, yeah, that's about. No, well, no, I take it back. I played a little bit indoor.
0: I'm more. I'm more of a workout guy. I'm. I'd rather go in and get a lift. than also, too, like the the pickup scene where I go where I go work out, it's kind of dead now. So it's like, okay, I'm just gonna. Also, just you know how it is. Life gets so busy where it's like you're done with you're done with work or you're done with classes and you're
1: like ah, the last thing i want to go do is exercise mm-hmm. no and i know what you mean you know i not. just I, I mentioned it because like um i'm sure you've you've come to this realization as you've been like you're pretty entrenched in like you know MBA analysis now like all the things you see like you're seeing it all on the floor as you play but you're like wow i can't physically do these things you know what i mean like my oh, body just won't
0: dude i swear uh, especially as i like get older it's like a stage of life where I'm just like kind of playing pickup just like sporadically now it's just like some of the stuff I mean there's still stuff I can still see you know especially when it comes to passing like there's still stuff I can see but just like a lot of the physical stuff or anything Mm -hmm. or especially defense defense I I, I'm sorry I'm gonna get off this tangent as soon as we're off because I know everybody listening is probably like oh this dude's talking about his pickup days again but yeah, like oh, is this is
1: something you do. I, I do pick up
0: here. I, I do pick you, up you here. Talk the, about on the podcast? Oh, I never talk about it on the podcast, but
1: okay, good, good, good. So yeah. since,
0: so since I've like played a lot of, since I was between the times I like started working out and like playing pickup basketball, I would say, um, I've gained probably about 30 to 35 pounds from working out. And I don't, I don't, play like i'm i don't defend like i'm 200 pounds i i think i'm like one i'm thinking i'm like 170 out there so when i'm thinking like oh that that wasn't really much of anything why are you calling it a foul like i had a ref tone he's like dude you're big you're knocking the shit out of people and i'm like okay fair fair so i'm like now like transitioning into this i'm like a small ball five where i used to be like on the wing like it's a tough reality out here yeah, yeah no you, it's I, I, do similar. you play like is it yeah is it same vibes so that you're trying to just see what you're seeing when you're scouting and watching film relentlessly on the best basketball players in the world but you just don't have like the athleticism to just <laughs> exactly
1: yeah exactly. just like
0: see the things that they're seeing yeah I, I feel that
1: yeah
0: i feel that but matt do you have uh anything else you want to wrap up the show with or uh, anything cool that you're going to be working on? I know you have a lot of bylines. Um, do you have anything cool that you're going to be working on here? It doesn't have to be Grizzlies. You can, whatever oh, it yeah. is.
1: Um, I have uh, – well, this week as of recording, what are we? Valentine's week. So this is the 15th of February. Uh, I have two two articles coming out for the analyst, both like trade trade deadline-centric stuff. And then I have something on Trey Young coming out for basketball news on Thursday. But, um, yeah, that's about that's about it right now. So oh, well,
0: I'll be I'll be checking those out. but uh, thank you, Matt, for joining the show. You want to let the people know where they can find you and your work?
1: Yeah, um, best way to find me is uh, at Matt fifteen on Twitter. So at M-A-T-I-S-S-A fifteen, um you could find I always post my work, but um I have a weekly column for basketball news. I'm usually writing something there once or twice a week, and then, you know over at the analyst, uh, sometimes at Forbes, sometimes at Rise. And, yeah, I do have a podcast-limited series I created a while back, uh, The Press for the Best. It's basically like a um, a six-part series about the 10 greatest players ever. So if you're interested in historical stuff, you can check that out.
0: Yeah, no, that that's seriously rad. No, yeah, I, I feel like ever since you were on GBB Live, you just, like, started popping up everywhere. And, like, all these websites, all these all this stuff. But, no, you post great work. Um, and if you already haven't checked out a Steven Adams piece, just go uh, follow him on, on Twitter search through it try to find it or just go to basketballnews.com. really great stuff we need more stephen adams appreciation out here uh you can find me on twitter at paca underscore uh, make sure you're reading the blog at grizzlybearblues.com. follow us on twitter at sb and grizzlies make sure you're liking subscribing downloading writing reviews for our podcast network at grizzlybearblues um Has GDB live, the long view, 3D, the starting five, has it all. So make sure you're doing all that, and that's about it.